So I have a treat for you today. Um, as John mentioned, I'm going to be talking about worry, and I figured it out. I figured out the answer to it, and I'm going to do it in 30 seconds. So it's a gift to you. Um, I, I've been working really hard on it, and we'll be done. We'll continue on. And so I found the answers in, in a song. It's by the great theologian Bob Marley. And um, DJ, could you go ahead and play that answer for me just real quick? You know the rest. You can sing it if you want to. All right, let's pray. We're done. Wouldn't that be great if that's all it took? I mean, just don't worry about it and it'll be all right. I mean, I bet you feel a little bit better hearing that song. It always makes me feel a little bit better, but it doesn't solve it, does it? Because that's, that's not our reality. I mean, worry is such a normal part of our day and just how much of our day is spent worrying about stuff. I mean, I think about my day and I, and I think about myself. I, I feel like I'm a pretty laid back person, like not a whole lot ruffles me. I tend to stay pretty even keeled. But when I start thinking about what a typical day for me is like, I realize that most of my dreaming and thinking about the next thing is really worrying about it. Because here's how my day normally starts. I wake up and the first thing I think about is, what did I forget to do last night? Did I turn the toaster off? Did I turn the, 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 the slow cooker off? Once we saw Life is Us, you got to think about that thing all the time now. Um, did I remember to turn the hose off? Is the water running? Am I going to get a crazy bill? Then I think, did I text Chris back? And so all those things, did I forget a meeting? Am I already behind from the first moment of the day? And then it quickly turned into the thing that I spend a lot of my day thinking about is what's for breakfast? Is there even anything in the fridge? That is, my, is my shake in there? So I go and have breakfast. And, and I kid you not, as soon as I have breakfast, I start thinking, where am I going for lunch? Who am I going to meet? What am I going to do? You will notice a lot of my day revolves around this. Um, and then, and then I start thinking about lunch and start dreaming about it. And, and really, as I was writing this sermon, there's a place I tend to go when it's nice out. And this week, we finally have nice weather. It's been so great. Um, and there's this little park, Lake Sylvan Park, and it's a pavilion, and it's on a lake, and there's never anything there. It's like one of the most serene places in my life. Uh, sometimes, like, deer magically appear out of the woods, and it's just like, it's like a fairy tale. And my worries go away. There's very little cell phone coverage there. It's wonderful. And about the only thing I was worried about on Tuesday was this spider who was coming at me really hard, so I moved tables, and I was fine. After after that. Um, and, and so I'm sitting there and I finish up. I was in a really good place. I was like, I think I've got this, this sermon kind of nailed down. And I get up and, and for 15 minutes, I start thinking about where am I going to go for lunch? Do I have time to eat lunch? What kind of sandwich should I get? Is it on my way back? And on and on it goes. And I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? And, and these, these are the easy things, but isn't that how so much of our day goes? We're just starting to think about the next thing. Like you're in the middle of the first bowl of cereal and you're already thinking about the second bowl before you've even taken the first bite of the first bowl. And like all of these things, we just start thinking about the next thing and worrying about what's coming up. And, and then you start thinking like, will the car start? Do I, did I put gas in it before I went to bed last night? Is there a gas station on my way to work? Do I have to take a left-hand turn? I mean, all of these little minutia things of the day. And then it turns out, did I turn my project in on time? Did, did I get the thing that my boss that I was supposed to do when I did it? Uh, is my girlfriend or my boyfriend or my spouse, are they still going to like me today? Did my post get enough likes? Did people respond fast enough? Did I get the right comments on it? Or do I need to delete that? Uh, you start thinking, is my kid going to get into college? You, all of these things. And we put all these worries. And I think these are the easy ones, right? These are kind of the minutia of the day, the little ones that are there. And it doesn't even encompass the famine that is going on in Kenya or Doris, who's living with us from Malawi, and to hear her prayers at night for her friends and her family and the things that she's thinking about as she's going back home. And so many of these are part of her day as well, but so much more. And then we wake up yesterday, and maybe some of you are watching football or just enjoying your morning coffee, and we hear about Pittsburgh. And it's there. And so I just want to take a moment because there are real things going on in our lives. So let's take a moment and pray about some of these, and we'll continue on. God, um, be with us as we 
are here this morning, uh, there are real worries in our life, Lord. And this morning, we take some particular time to pray for our, uh, our friends and family and those who are in Pittsburgh today that are, are, are dealing with this loss. Lord, be with them as they continue to move through these days, God. Unfortunately, we as a city know this too well and uh, know the weight of all of this, Lord. Uh, be near to them. Continue to be with each and every person that's been affected and by a city that's rattled, Lord, as they seek answers and are looking for you. God, be uh, with Josiah and Sarah as they continue to minister to their friends and family. Be with Doris as she goes home. Be with each and every person as we carry worry with us and that every part of our day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, if, um, if 15 years ago me, knew that 15 years ago today me was worried about what kind of sandwich I was eating, he would probably sock me upside the head. Because I still remember that Christmas Eve when I left church and I went to the gas station and I tried to get a sandwich, again, a sandwich theme, um, and the card was declined. And I tried to put gas in the car to be able to get home to see my family for Christmas that year, and it didn't work. And this was on top of months of mounting debt and, and increasingly less income and the tears at night of wondering what the next day was going to bring and who was going to show up. What are the questions you're bringing into this? What, what are the worries that have you wrapped up? What are some of the questions that are there? Are you asking, will my marriage make it? Will I beat the cancer? How much longer does she have? Uh, will the bill collectors find me this month? Where am I living tomorrow? Does God really love me? Can I even trust the God who lets bad things happen? You see, worry, it's a universal condition. This is an easy one to address because it affects all of us. In every season of our life, it's there. And for some, for some, the worry comes from not having enough or at least a perceived lack of having the needs that you need, the food, the clothing, the shelter. And there's a lack of security from not knowing where it's coming from and not knowing if you'll have what you'll need. Because if you just had what you need, if you just knew where it was coming from, it would fix everything, wouldn't it? And that fear of not having consumes your whole focus of each and every day. And for many others, our possessions consume us. If you were here last week, you heard John say that if you are here in the United States, you are wealthier than 95% of the world. And we have some, and we have what we need, and then some on top of it. We have storage units for the extra stuff that we need. And having it and knowing where it's coming from keeps us grounded and secure and, and the fear of losing it starts to consume our focus. And on both sides, no matter where you find yourself on the spectrum as a broken relationship with our stuff, with our possessions, with our future, and our security. And all of these worries live on the outskirts of tomorrow. And it really, it really boils down to a question. And it's a question that has been deep-seated in our souls since the beginning of time. Since the moment man was created, the question was placed in us. And we've been asking it ever since. And the question is, who do you trust? Do you trust God? And do you really trust him? Or is he just a safety net in times of need or in times of plenty? You see, here's the thing. And we come to this over and over again, that God knows us. He knows you and I. He knows how we're wired. And he really knows us. He's known us since the beginning of time. And he knows our worries. He knows how we think. And he knows our questions that are deep within us. And he knows the deep cries of our heart and he knows it in the minutia of the questions of the day as well as the giant questions that are weighing us down. And he addresses our worry and our anxiety head on and early in the midst of the sermon. And the incredible thing is he actually provides us a path through it. 
We're continuing this series on the Sermon on the Mount, as John mentioned. And this is an incredible message that Jesus gives in this picture of a new kingdom that he's bringing. And he's inviting these followers into it. And Jesus is very early on in his ministry. Um, it was really fun to be able to spend some time with this and to kind of go back. I mean, we're just in the fifth chapter of Matthew. He has been born. He goes through the temptations and he's just early in his ministry. He's called these disciples to follow him. These guys were, several of them were on boats. They were in the family business. They had had their future mapped out. They were going to go fish for a living. They knew what they were going to do. They were probably quite good at it. They'd been doing it. Many of them, their whole life with their parents, they'd moved on with their dad. And all of a sudden Jesus calls them out. So they've kind of left their security behind and all that they had known to follow him. And then in chapter four, it says, that all these giant crowds start falling and they see him doing miracles. They see him doing incredible things and all of these people start coming around him and he's healing all these people. And then Jesus draws these young guys, these students of his up on the side of a mountain and he starts to share with them and he starts to teach them and he tells them that they need God, that first and foremost, they have a deep need for him, that they need to rely on him Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their deep-seated need for him. And he tells them this so that they can then go care for the world and people that are around them because they are the salt and light of the world. They are the hope for the world. And then he raises the bar on how to care for people and he starts to paint a picture of what real love would look like in this new kingdom. And it's daunting and it's beautiful all at the same time because no longer is just murder a problem, but just anger carrying anger with your brother is a problem. And not only do we have to love those who like us or who are like us, but even to love our enemies. And he raises the bar so high. And then he tells them how to live it out, to give quietly to those in need, to pray, to fast quietly, to use and view money in the proper way. And then, and then we come to the verses 25 through 34 of chapter six, which are in your bulletin. And I'd invite you to follow along. And it begins with this. Therefore, and a wise professor once told me that when the Bible says, therefore, it's there for a reason. Is that right, Jim? Can I confirm that? Jim's one of those wise professors who has shared this with many people. Now see if you can get this out of your head for the future anytime you're reading the scriptures. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I don't know about you, but as we've moved through this fall, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, there have been many weeks where I've been on the edge of my seat, highly challenged, because the Sermon on the Mount makes us ask questions of ourselves. Am I living this out right? 
Is my heart in the right place? Are my actions reflecting what God is doing? And I've had to ask some pretty deep questions within. And, and there have been times that I'm feeling anxious about it because they're big questions and they're questions that deal with every aspect of our life. And I've had to remember these guys, these young guys who've left the security of everything they've known, they're hearing this in mere minutes. They have been taking this all in in kind of one sitting as Jesus is giving it to them. And all of a sudden, when I read this, it feels like there's a relief valve being opened, that there's a bit of a breath that they're offered. When you hear these first words, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And I just picture them taking a breath and he says, don't worry. And he's speaking right to me in the midst of the questions and the anxieties and the worries that I carry. And the genius and beauty of Jesus' teaching is that it's just as applicable to us in this room 2,000 years as it was to these guys who are in the midst of instability and wondering what the future is going to hold for them. And, and most of us can find ourselves on either of those spectrums and somewhere in between. Some of you don't know what tomorrow brings and some of you are so secure in it and yet the questions are still there. And he says, don't worry. He takes right into the midst of it, right into the worry about the things of the world. And I love it. He says, look, look at the birds. And I have to picture these guys are sitting there, and then they start looking around at the birds, right? I mean, they're outside on a mountainside. I'm picturing there's probably some birds flying around, and they see them flitting and flying, and they see their, 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 their feathers and their plumage, and they're eating and doing the things that birds do, and they're being taken care of. They're active. They're doing the work they've been called to do, but they don't worry. They just continue to live and in this, Jesus reminds us that God is good, that he is a good father, that he cares, and that he provides. And in this moment of instruction, he goes back to the very beginning and reminding them you need to rely on him. And why? Because he is a good God. And understanding that is a critical step towards not worrying. For thousands of years, God has provided, and not just for his people, but for all of creation, for the birds of the air, for the flowers of the field, because he cares and he's good. And then he goes beyond, and he's not only just good, and he not just provides, but he also creates beauty. And he goes beyond just the basics in verse 28 through 30. He says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And he starts painting the picture that God isn't concerned with just the bare necessities, but he also creates beauty in the midst of all of us. He gives this image of the, the court of Solomon, and he paints this picture that his listeners would have known one of the most ornate and most beautiful and, and most intricate places that would have existed. And he gives them this very specific visual so that they could picture. And he starts talking about the flowers. And I'm sure right now you can picture a beautiful flower. And sometimes they grow on weeds, right, which is most of my yard, as I realize. And yet sometimes there's beautiful flowers on these weeds. And God even puts beauty in the midst of the things that are there and he creates it that are here today and gone tomorrow. Some of our flowers just grow for a moment and go away and yet he puts them there and they get this image of the beauty that God has added to the world. Because God is not just good, he's also gracious. And the grace that we are offered in Jesus is echoed throughout all of creation and the way that the master artist creates and shares this beauty with the world. 
And he gives them some specifics, the flowers of the field as they see them, the birds in the air and the way that they're dressed. And for many of us, the rolling ocean, as we get ready to go to beach baptism last week, the image of the ocean and this beauty that he gives there, the sunsets that we're gifted with every night. God has imbued beauty in the world and these echoes of grace that go throughout. And Jesus lets them know that God is not just a good father. He's actually a good, good father. I, I think the lyrics of that song get it really right when we talk about how he is. And then, and then Jesus gives them a reminder that as followers of him, as members of this new kingdom that Jesus is bringing to earth, that we're called to be different. Verses 31 to 32, he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that we need them. As his followers, we are salt and light to the world. We are to be different. We are to be set apart to draw attention to the one who has set us apart. The purpose, as he's put it in the beginning of the sermon, is that we would be different so that the world could see him, that we would be reflections of his love and his grace to the world around. And he reminds his young disciples, as well as us 2,000 years later, that we will always have a choice. We will always have to choose the way of the world or to put our trust in our loving Father. And then he continues in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The answer, the solution, the path out of worry, the antidote to worry is found right here path out of the anxiety and the worry about future is found right in this beautiful and simple statement, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. We as followers are called to a singular focus on God. Throughout his teaching, Jesus has been revealing how his new kingdom looks, this radical encompassing love, people that are set apart to be a light to the world, a deep value for everyone he has created. He has raised the bar on human dignity to incredible new levels. And as his followers, we are called first to seek his kingdom. And how do we do that? Through our righteousness. Now that is a word that is a churchy word and is a word that can sometimes get buzzed by. So I kind of looked up some definitions to find out a little bit clear what it was. And I found uh, some things that I think will help us as we hear that things, uh, some definitions that were really applicable in the midst of this. So what is righteousness? Righteousness is right thinking, feeling, speaking, and behavior on the part of the disciples of the kingdom who do what God approves and commands. Righteousness is the outflowing of a life that is centered on submitting to, worshiping, and seeking after God and confessing Jesus as Lord. And then Martin Luther said it this way, to seek first this kingdom and righteousness is believing in Jesus Christ and practicing and applying the gospel to which faith clings. And I love that idea. I love that image to practice and apply the gospel to every aspect of our lives. That is the hope of what righteousness is, of following him more closely. And the image that has come to me as I've been studying this is this image of trying to catch my father's eye. You see, he's been painting this picture of the singular focus on him. He has been telling his disciples to be quietly praying, to quietly do these things, to capture his attention, not the attention of the world, but to be focused on him and all these quiet acts. 
I have three kids and my oldest is eight year old daughter. I have a six year old daughter and a three year old son. And if you have kids or if you're ever around kids, you know one of the most common statements you hear is, hey, watch me, right? They wanna show off, they wanna show some new skill or trick, watch me, watch me, watch me, daddy. It is said quite often in our house and usually in response to us looking at our phone and not paying attention, right? And so they get our attention and I know it's important because I remember when I was a kid and my parents and teachers, people paying attention and praising me for things. And so I try really hard to pay attention when they've given me the same fact 15 times. Daddy, did you know that red ants are fire ants? Yes, Maverick, that's very interesting. Thank you for telling me again. Um, and you want to be, you know, you, you are interested and you show interest in all these things. And I do, and I love to see the cartwheels. I love to see all the forward rolls. I love to hear the jokes. I like to see when they learn their armpit, you know, fart noises, all the things, the silly faces, all of it, because these are all things that they want to show off and learn. But what's really awesome is when they do something and they don't know that you're watching, when they do the right thing and you catch it out of the corner of your eye, the things, or you hear about them, the times when you find out that they gave their seat to their sister because she was having a bad day and just needed it, the times when they go give a hug because someone got hurt, the time that they offer an encouraging word and you didn't have to tell them to go do it. To hear a story from a teacher or one of their base camp leaders about a kindness they showed in class. Um, a while back, someone came up to me after service and said, hey, um, did you know that I saw your kids at Chick-fil-A, which sent all of my alarm bells going off. Uh, my hair on the back of my neck stood up. I'm like, oh boy, what did they do? Because Maverick was in a potty word phase at that point. And most of you know that if parents take kids at Chick-fil-A, it's because we're putting them in the scream room, which is that glass enclosed playground where we have a date and they scream. And, um, and it's just all hands are off. And it's sort of like the Hunger Games in there a lot of times, I think. And so I'm thinking, what, what have my children done? And I'm just waiting for, they said, um, AJ, uh, and she's my oldest, uh, came up and they had a two-year-old. And they said that um, Rachel didn't know them, but they'd, you know, they go to church and AJ knew their child because AJ, my oldest, helps out in base camp and is back there and, and loves little kids. And they said that she came over and invited their, their, their son to come into the playground and play with him. And that they, she took care of him, that she kind of left her friends and, and her siblings and just focused on him and just made him feel so welcome and play with him and cared for him. And they got to sit there and have dinner and she just didn't know that any of us were watching and Rachel didn't even know it was happening. And they told me and they're like, that just meant so much. And I just remember beaming, right? As a dad, it's everything you want. Like she's doing the right thing. She's, she's learned it. She's being nice to people and caring and reflecting that love to other people. She caught my eye. And to be able to tell her about it and the proudness that was there and just, uh, it just melted my heart. Jesus is calling his followers to have a singular focus on God to catch his eye in this way to have a proper view of the high value of the people in God's kingdom, that every person that God has created, he has loved. And throughout this first part of the message, God is, Jesus raises uh, each and every person to this created order, to this high value and dignity. And then he tells them to live it out in this quiet devotion to God, to pray, to give, to focus on him, to use our money well, to submit to God, to trust him alone. You see, this this is the path out of worry, to catch our Father's eye now, to singularly focus on him, and the worry will go away. And then he adds on at the end of verse 33, that as we focus on him, that as we pursue his kingdom and his righteousness, that all will be given as well. See, God cares so deeply about his kingdom and his people that to those who will have this deep faith and singular focus on him and will seek out his kingdom and his righteousness 
and practice and apply the gospel to every area of their life, God will take care of and provide all that they need. And it is challenging because the text doesn't say, not, it doesn't say he'll take care of some of what they need. It says, and all of these things will be added as well. The thing is, we might need to change our definition about what all these things he will add are. If we're to look different from the world and their pursuit of food and drink and clothes, then maybe what we will be given will look different to us as well. Whenever we fully seek God, our circumstances don't always change, but you and I always do. Maybe the things he provides that we need are found in the people he puts in our lives, the groups that he invites us to walk through life with, the counselors that offer help to us in our times of need, the medication that allows us to more fully follow him. Maybe our needs are met just as much as we more fully participate in his kingdom and not just in the passive receiving of the basic needs of our life as well. Um, if we've been seeking God to get the security from the things that we need, then maybe we haven't been singularly focused on him in the right way. The things, the food, the drink, the clothes, those are not the antidote to worry. Getting what we need doesn't decrease the anxiousness about tomorrow. The singular focus on God is what releases us from the worry that is there. And then our needs will be provided for. And he concludes with verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Do not worry about tomorrow. See, you and I have control of this moment alone. The past, the past is done. And you can repent for it. You can ask forgiveness. You can celebrate it, but it is over. In the future, the next breath, the next minute, the next moment, the next week, it is not promised. What we have is now. We have the moment, and it is what we are promised, and it is what we have control of. And the thing is, not only do we have the moment, it is about you and I. It isn't about the person sitting next to you. It isn't about your spouse. It isn't about your aunts or the person that did you wrong. This is about you now. Because each moment we have a choice. Will you trust God, the creator and provider? Will you in this moment trust him to be who he says he is and who he has always been? Or will you trust yourself? Will you trust your plans, your stuff? Will you seek his attention or will you seek the world's? And the thing is, this is daily, hourly, by the minute stuff for me. Because I like my stuff. I love my kids. I cling very tightly to my plans. I put a lot of faith in my retirement plans and my skills and my calendar and the people I know. I like to be liked. I, my, I mean, this is real life. This is the real parts of our life. But here's what I know. I know that when I'm singularly focused on God, when I am properly focused on him, here's how I know when I'm trying to catch his eye and his alone. Uh, I know it because life works. And the, the veil between heaven and earth is a bit thinner. And I'm kind to those around me and I care for them well. And I'm seeking his attention more than my neighbors. And here's the thing, it isn't always easy, but it's always good. And it isn't always happy and up to the right, but it is always joyful. So what do you need to do? You need to take steps in your prayer and your devotional life to be more fully focused on him. 
Do you need to find space in the quiet for the conversation with God? And here's my encouragement to you. Pray, spend some time with him. Jump in on our gospel reading plan. It's online, it's in the lobby. We're in the middle of reading through these gospels so that we can know Jesus more. It will change your life and you will not be disappointed. Do you need to take some steps that John challenged us with last week in your financial life? My encouragement, if you're still sitting with it, do it. God will continue to work on you in the midst of it. Do you need to fully submit to God? Have you never really taken that step? Do you need to take a public step in your community and say, I'm really doing this. I'm really giving you my life, God. I'm going to give you my worry and my anxiety. I'm going to give you the fears of my future and trust you. And I'm going to say it publicly so that people will know that this is really going on and I have a place to look back to you. Baptism's coming up next week. Maybe that's your step. We would love to celebrate with you if that is where God is stirring in your heart. For all of us, we have a very practical next step that we're going to take today, the communion meal. It's a very tangible act of submitting to God of coming to the table, of admitting our need for God and for his grace and for his forgiveness, of accepting it and the promise of new life that he offers through his death and his resurrection. It's a very practical surrendering of this moment to God and trusting him with our future. Because again, the next breath, the next moment isn't promised, uh, but we have this opportunity to offer God this very one. And in it, uh, find a release from our worry and place our trust in the one who has and does and will continue to provide for all of our needs and take on all of our worry. Let's pray. God, again, you know us. You know our heart. You know our lives. You know the situations we are in. You know the worries we carry with us into this room. God, and I pray and invite you to meet us in the midst of all of them. Um, God, you have called us to a singular focus and attention to you, to catch your eye, to give our lives to you and to trust you with them, Lord. And I pray that in this moment of communion, uh, that we would have the chance to do that, that we'd have a chance to slow down and to offer this moment to you and realize uh, the gravity as well as the gift that's in it as we take the chance to be reminded of your grace and the lifting of the weight that happens when we receive it. God, this physical act of taking the bread and the wine, of being reminded uh, that you really gave your life and you really came back and you really promised us grace and life and freedom with you. And God, you really promised that we have a chance to offer that to others as well. God, it is incredible. God, I pray that you uh, would meet us. Be with us in the midst of everything we have going on and meet us at this table this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.